0: All right, guys. Uh, Take your Bible and find the Old Testament book of Exodus. Fun fact, if you happen to be in Auburn during the summer, this summer, we will be studying through the book of Exodus in Sunday school. So normally, if you're ever here in the summer, we normally... um, Sunday school are in the Old Testament, and so this year it is Exodus. When you find Exodus, find the twenty-fourth chapter. Tonight we are moving ahead in our study through the biblical covenants. If you don't know, there are six of them Uh, altogether. Well, there's—I mean, there's lots of covenants in Scripture that men make with other men and things like that but we are talking about the covenants that God made with man the, the covenants that together lay out the story of of our salvation in Christ that 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 tell that story get, you know ahead of time and how people were ready for Christ when he came or those that had eyes to see you know that 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 story began all the way back in Genesis 3:15 um, but then that promise of Genesis 3.15, that a Savior would come, was built on and elaborated on by further covenants, and tonight we're looking at the fourth of those six covenants, um, and it's it funny, we're in the fourth of those six covenants, and this is the first one we're not going to be in the book of Genesis. Uh, that just tells you how foundational Genesis is, and uh, if you don't know what those covenants are, they are the covenant of works, some call it the covenant of creation, Um that was the covenant made with our representative Adam in the Garden of Eden. Um, then we looked at the Noahic, the Noahic covenant. That's the covenant which God made with Noah uh, after the flood. I feel like you guys over there are looking at a microphone instead of me. That's fine. Maybe you want to look at the microphone instead of me. Um, then we looked at the, Noah, the, the Abrahamic covenant, covenant that God made with Abraham. That was laid out in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. That's a very important covenant. Um, And then then you have the Mosaic Covenant. That's what we're going to think about tonight, the covenant that God made with Israel through Moses. After you get, you know, you got the works and Noah and Abraham and Moses, the next one is the, the Davidic Covenant, the covenant God made with David. We'll see that in 2 Samuel, Psalm 89. And then finally it's going to culminate in the New Covenant, which... We also know as as Baptists, we know as that's the covenant of grace, in that we call it that, in, because it, it, in it you have the coming of and the redemption earned by Jesus Christ, fulfilling all those other covenants that I, the, the starting with Genesis three fifteen and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, those are all as Ephesians two twelve calls them covenants of promise. They are promising something to come, and that that's the fulfillment in the new covenant when Jesus came. But as I said, tonight we're thinking about the covenant. With Moses. Um, I've, I've tried to give you um, a couple of words that give you a synopsis of, of each of the covenants as we move through them. So with with the exception of the covenant of works, but with the covenant of Noah, for example, I said that you might summarize that as time and opportunity. Um, and then we looked at the covenant with Abraham and might summarize that as grace and guarantee. I think if you're going to think, if you're going to try to summarize the covenant with Moses, you might call, you might summarize it this way, sin and substitution. Sin and substitution. The covenant with Moses, of all the covenants, with the exception of maybe the new covenant in Jesus Christ himself, may be the one most familiar with people because uh, it's the covenant in which God gave his law to the people, uh, most notably dis- distillated in the Ten Commandments. Um, this covenant is essentially a covenant of law, and certainly certainly, the covenant itself is, in history is rooted in grace. It's rooted in God's gracious redemption of his people out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt. Um, he brought them out. I mean, that's the prologue, by the way, to the Ten Commandments. I'm the, I'm the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. It's, it's built on a gracious redemption. Uh, but, but otherwise, it is, it is a covenant of law. It's, it's, it's uh, 613 laws. It's a lot of laws. Uh, it, it is, is, they are laws that that govern that were to govern um, the, the, the nation of Israel and their life in the promised land, their obedience to it or lack thereof, would determine their, their continued presence in that land. Uh, their blessing in that land or lack of it. And if you want to, say, get down to brass tacks, in the other covenants that we've already looked at so far, um, we, we've already seen God has revealed in, other, in earlier covenants some of his will, some of his obligations to people. Um, of course, in the covenant of works, right? Adam was to, he could eat of all the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That revealed some of God's character to him. In the covenant with Noah, Noah was even given obligations. Be fruitful and multiply and walk before me and be blameless. Honor, honor and value human life made in the image of God. Abraham, among other things, was commanded to leave his homeland, go to the land that I will show you, walk before me and be blameless. And so... Um, there's law. There's bits of law in the covenants we've seen so far, um, but this covenant with Moses, more than any other before it, God reveals His His will and His character to people. It is just, it's almost overwhelming. Um, just a little bit of of I want to I want to tell you this, just so you kind of. Uh, know what when you're reading your New Testament refers back to something I want you to have a good grasp of how these covenants relate together the New Testament often refers to the Old Covenant contrasting the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant in Jesus Christ and uh, when the when the when the New Testament talks about the Old Covenant uh, it primarily has this covenant with Moses in view Um, but just just to be just to be thorough, we should probably understand the old covenant to properly include Abraham, Moses, and David. All three of those as the old covenant. Um, why? Because Samuel Renahan in his uh, in his book on the covenants, says very helpful in this in this regard. He says all three of those covenants, Abraham, Moses, and what we're going to study next week in the covenant with David. All three of those covenants are made with the same parties, namely Abraham's offspring. Um, they are, they have to do with the same kingdom realm, that is, the earthly promised land. Um, they have the same promises. In other words, blessed life in that promised land. They they have the same precepts. It, it's revealed progressively. In, in Abraham's time, it was just walk before me and be blameless. Then with, co- with the covenant with Moses, it's just, boom, given more elaboration. This is what blamelessness looks like. And then the covenant with David, the king, is supposed to walk in accordance with the law of Moses. It's got the same penalties, which is if you don't walk before me and be blameless in this way that the law lays out, you will be exiled from the promised land. And that, that exile is talked about in the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. It's talked about a whole lot in the law of Moses, and it actually happened under the, kingdom, the, the Davidic kings. So, um, as Renahan puts it, what the Abrahamic covenant establishes, the Mosaic and the Davidic covenants connect to and expand. So, somebody might answer then, if all three of those covenants, Abraham, Moses, and David, if all three of those covenants are included in what we mean by the old covenant, then why, when you come to the New Testament, is Moses always the one that's mentioned? And I would reply that it's, it's for the same reason. My, my, my answer to that is that when there are other things like that. So when Jesus talks about the Psalms, Jesus will say, David wrote the Psalms. Well, David didn't write all the Psalms. Moses wrote a Psalm. Asaph wrote many Psalms. But David wrote most of them. So he just says, the Psalms are David's book. Or, Jesus says, calls the first five books the books of Moses. Moses dies before Deuteronomy's over. So he couldn't have written the, the end of Deuteronomy. So it's not technically all of it, the books of Moses, but Moses wrote the vast majority of them. So it's the books of Moses. Or just think about when the, when the, the, the kingdom of, of Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was ten tribes. Southern kingdom was two of them, Judah and Benjamin. But they called it Judah. Why? Because Judah was the bigger of the two. Right? And so I think that's what's going on. That, that, that even though technically Abraham, Moses, and David all comprise what we should understand by the old covenant that went away when Jesus came. Um, Moses is singled out as representative of that old covenant because it is by far the biggest and most elaborate of those three covenants. Um, it's the fullest expression of God's law. And so let's get to it. There is so much to say about the law uh, and this covenant with Moses, more than we could ever dream about doing in just a few minutes in just one night. So what I want to do is I try to do a quick flyover um, and sort of get a big picture of this covenant, specifically um, in God revealing his law like this uh, to, to his people in Israel and by extension to us what are we supposed to glean from this heavy law that he revealed how how what is God intending us to know and learn from this boom 613 laws the 10 commandments are found in Exodus 20 and then more laws covering practically every area of life in the nation of Israel follow in chapters 21 to 23 And what I want to do tonight is read a portion of Exodus 24. This is the actual covenant-making ceremony between God and the people of Israel. So if you found Exodus 24, follow along as I read aloud, just verses 3 to 8. I'm going to read that little section, Exodus 24, 3 to 8. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. And all the rules. There's a lot of them. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar and he took the book of the covenant. That is, that's the law. The book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. and We will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Let's pray as we think about these things. Lord, would you please... Honor this reading and the study of your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. I pray um, that you would give us help to hear you in in these words. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the truth in the passage. I pray that you would give us minds to understand what you would have us to learn about your law, the purpose of it. And I pray that you would give us hearts to embrace your holiness and embrace what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us as this covenant points us to. I pray that you would give us wills to obey anything and everything that you admonish us to do from this passage. Please give us all ears to hear. Please give me the help that I need to teach. I pray and I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... The law, having been laid out in, in, in detail in the, in the previous chapters, this passage that we just read, as you can see, describes the actual ceremony, the covenant ceremony, that uh, by which they entered into this covenant with the Lord. It's another interesting ceremony, if you were actually paying attention. It's, it's kind of akin to the la- the ceremony that we studied last week, um, with, with uh, the covenant with Abraham, if you were here for that. You know that there was a lot of significance and meaning in the ceremony itself uh, that God made uh, with with Abraham in that covenant. So quickly, if you're taking notes, here's what I want us to consider from this passage and and, and a few others along the way. First, we're going to talk about the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law. Um, Second, they all start with P, so anyway, whatever. Uh, Second, the power of the law. Secondly, the power of the law. First, the purpose. Second, the power. And third, the picture of the law. How it points us forward to Christ. So I'll explain what I mean by each of those as we move through them. But to begin, let's, let's get straight. First of all, the purpose of the law. So when God revealed it, this law to Moses, we, we, didn't, we didn't even read a, a single law. But when there's 613 of them. When he did this, he was revealing... In the fullest way he ever had up to this point in the history of the world, his own holy and righteous character. And, and why? To what purpose was God revealing this much of his holiness, this much of his righteous character? Not only so that we might know it, right? But so that his people would reflect it in their own lives, in the, in the way that they lived. That is why, as you move into other books of the law, not just Exodus, but But uh, like on into Leviticus, this is a major theme in in Leviticus. Not just that you know it, but that you then reflect it in your obedience. Uh, You see it in Leviticus 11.44. I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. How are they supposed to know what holiness looked like? He just described it for them in the laws. So, for example... Leviticus 20, verse 7. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And God tells them in the very next verse how to do that. Keep my statutes and do them. Okay. By the way, I say this almost every time I mention Leviticus. I'll do it again. The best way to read Leviticus is how? All at once. All in one sitting. If you're reading a, a, through the Bible in the year. And you get to Leviticus, just chunk it for a little while and just read Leviticus all in one day. Uh, The reason is uh, it's a difficult book, and it's hard to read it every day for like a whole month. But secondly, and most importantly, if you read it all at once, it it almost comes alive. You see these repeated things over and over again. You see the main things just rise to the surface that you do it all in one sitting that you'd miss if you do it piecemeal. Anyway. God did not give us the law so that we would simply look at it and go, wow, look how holy God is, right? But that we would say, you know, you would say, wow, look how holy God is, but you would also say, you know, God God created me in his image. And if you're an Israelite, you know, God graciously delivered us out out of slavery. We've been slaves for 430 years, and he just... He just delivered us out of that miraculously. Um, and then He gave us this law. You know, He probably expects me to do this. He expects me to obey. God gave us His laws, so not that we would just look at it, but that we would do it. He didn't give us the ten descriptions. He gave us ten commandments. And He, and he, and, and he, he didn't just give them a, a, a picture to look at. He gave them a law to keep. And since the days of Adam, they knew they had better keep it. And if you're open to Exodus 24, just as soon as God gave the people the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, they intuitively understood this. Because we just read verses 3 to 8, short passage, twice, twice they promised. We will gladly obey this. Look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words... Of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do we will do it and notice how many times the word all is four times in that one verse all the words all the rules all the people all the words we will all obey and we will obey all that you have said look again at verse 7 and they said all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient they knew their obligation And it was to walk in perfect obedience to God. And they were promising to do just that. I love how one of the the old um, catechisms, I think it's the Westminster Larger Catechism, talks about we owe to God personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. Personal, perfect, and perpetual. Um, and, and, And once... The law was read to the people and the people had promised to be obedient to it. Take a look at the ceremony that went along with it. Beginning in verse 5, they sacrifice several animals. And in verse 6, Moses takes half the blood and he throws it against the altar. And then in verse 8, he takes the other half of the blood and he throws it on the people. Not all the people, but representatives of each tribe. Still gross. What do you think that all means? Sacrifice the animals, half it on the altar, half of it on the people. What does that mean? Well, if you were here last week for the covenant with Abraham, um, we saw another kind of weird, at least to us, ceremony, covenant ceremony in Genesis 15. You remember that? They, they sacrifice the animals they cut them in half hot dog style they laid the halves opposite each other and a path between them and usually both parties would pass through those animals uh, symbolizing the serious consequences if either party should should not fulfill their end of the, the, the bargain the, the obligation they saying, in in effect, may I become like one of these dead animals if I don't keep my end of the deal. Basically calling down a curse upon themselves if they should break their promise. And in Abraham's case, though, the the thing that was unique there, that's why why we summarized it as grace and guarantee. It didn't work that way with his covenant. God put Abraham to sleep, and God alone walked through the the pathway. All right? God alone would, he, he would guarantee it by, you know, calling a curse upon himself if he alone didn't make this salvation happen. This covenant in, in Exodus 24 is not exactly like that one, but it is very much like it in a lot of details. And I believe for good reason. I believe it carries a lot of the same meaning as we saw in Genesis 15. So instead of laying the, the halves of the animals side by side like that, um, Moses simply takes half the blood, right? He takes half the blood, uh, and he throws it on both parties of the covenant, on the altar which represents God, and on the people which represent uh, the other end of the, the the covenant. And when the when the blood was thrown on the people, they were bound to their promise, which they made twice, as we've seen in verses three and seven, such that they were also saying. May we become like those animals who are sacrificed if we don't keep our promise. All the words you've said, we will obey, we will do it, we will be obedient. May we become like these animals if I I don't, if we don't. They were saying we deserve death if we fail to keep the law. The purpose of the law is to demonstrate what obedience to God looks like, at least in this instance, in the nation of Israel. And that we owe perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience to God in every way. And that breaking His law, we deserve the curse of God. We deserve His judgment. An obligation is meaningless if there are no consequences whatsoever for breaking it. And So on that note, that's the purpose. Not just that we would know the holiness of God, but that we would be obedient and reflect it. But let me think, let's think with me quickly about the power then of the law. The law really has, had then, has now, um, two things, the power to do two things. One is the power to teach us, okay? So I, for one, even though we are in the new covenant now and we're believers in Christ, some people think we don't have anything to do whatsoever with the, the old covenant law anymore. Not for our justification, by all means, no. But I do think that God's moral character is still revealed in, in, in the law. And so uh, I, I can say that the law still instructs me in that way. I mean, I can say I should not steal. Well, because Ephesians 4 says it, but also the Eighth Commandment says it. Right? It It matches. And so it instructs me still, even in Christ. But it has the power to teach us. It teaches us the holiness of God. We saw that in Leviticus. It teaches us the holiness that God requires of us. But the only other power that it has, other than to teach us, is the power to condemn us. Um, Because we can't keep it. And Romans 8 is so honest about our sinful nature, that it says it's not that we just can't keep it. We don't want to. We don't want to. Um, Hence, the truth is, we've all broken the moral law of this covenant. We've all broken, we would have done what Adam did. We're all deserving of the consequences of breaking the moral law of God. The, The law can show us the right way to go, but it can't make us go it. Uh, it, it can't make us go the right way. And we see that, that same principle at work, like in, in, in uh, Paul reflecting on that, that very principle in the book of Romans. In Romans 7, 7, for example, he says, if the law had said don't covet, I wouldn't have known what covetousness is. But then once it told me, I found covetousness all over the place in my life. You know, don't walk on the grass. That's exactly where I'm going to walk, you know. Um, And he says in Romans 8, 3, that the law is good in every way, but it is weakened by the flesh. um, Because we can't keep it. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's something wrong with me. So we see that right here in Exodus. Here, Here they are promising twice in the span of five verses. We'll obey. We will obey all of it. You turn around twice, and in Exodus 32, they're fashioning a golden calf and bowing down to it. I mean, when a sinner stands before God, God will not measure your life by whoever you compared yourself to in this life. When you stand before God, and when I stand before God, He's going to, to, to measure me against His law, this moral law of God, because that law is a perfect distillation of His holiness, His righteous nature. And He will expect every person to have obeyed it and dis- all, obeyed all of it, disobeyed none of it. The problem is, for me and for you, the, the reverse is, the, the exact reverse is true. I have broken all of it, and I genuinely deserve all the consequences that come from it. And you even don't, the the thing is, you don't even, all you got to do is break one law to be a lawbreaker. And we've we've done far worse than that. Uh, Man, and when Jesus comes, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's not giving a whole new law. He's like, he's not saying forget what Moses said, listen to me. No, when he says, when he says, the law says do not murder. But I say to you, if you get angry in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. He was was teaching you that was the intent all along. Right? That that was always true of it. it. Don't commit adultery. When you look at a woman with lustful intent, you committed adultery in your heart. That's what the law always said. That's how rotten we are. How far we, oh my goodness. The law will not help me in that day. Because I have broken it again and again and again. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Do what it says not to do. Don't do what it tells me to do. And the law sends me looking somewhere else for help. So to put it in a different way, the law has the power to show us how much we need Jesus. And that's exactly what the Bible says its purpose was as well. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.24, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. God, why did you give me this law? Mo- Moses might say that. I can lead you to Christ. It leads us to Christ because we realize he's the only one who perfectly kept the law of God and he took the curse that we deserve upon himself so that we could stand forgiven and righteous in his sight before God. You know, when, when um, here's, here's the reality. When you think about Abraham and Moses back to back, when when the covenant with Abraham, when God alone passed through the animals while Abraham was asleep, God was showing that salvation would be free to all who believe. With the, with you come to Moses and with the blood on the altar and on the people, he showed that salvation for us would be free through faith, but it would be costly to Him. So, in, 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 a, in a way, salvation is by works, just not ours, by Jesus' works. It was costly to Him. And we're given a picture of that here in Exodus 24, as we try to wrap this up. And I know... I feel so inadequate because the the, the law of Moses is so big. It's like, where do you even, if you're going to summarize it in one, what are you going to say? But I want to finish by considering quickly the picture of the law. So God put pictures all in the law to show us that he knows that we fail to keep his law. And even though we're deserving of his wrath, he's providing a way for us to be forgiven. He put pictures of that, that truth all in the law all through the law you know you know, there are provisions for sacrifices to be offered he knows you're not going to keep it so he he even put laws about how what to do when you break it because he knows you're not gonna keep it I mean like so um, he's got all these laws about sacrifices we learn later in the scripture in the New Testament those, those sacrifices never did anything uh, never could Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Which, if you're thinking, you go, well, then why did you ever command me to sacrifice bulls and goats if they never take away sins? To keep you looking for a greater sacrifice. To, to, he put them there to be a picture of a greater sacrifice that was coming in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. And to see that, to see that, and here's where we'll try to land the plane, to see that this was his intention all along. Look here in in verse 8 of Exodus 24. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people, and he said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And I want, I want you to note particularly that Moses says, Behold the blood of the covenant. Those are the most important words in that verse. Behold the blood of the covenant. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he's, talk, he's saying that phrase as he is throwing the blood on the people. What did that blood on the people represent? When Moses threw the blood on the people, that represented the deadly consequences that would rightly come on those people if they didn't obey his law. If they broke the covenant. And and so when, when Moses said, behold the blood of the covenant, he's talking about the judgment that they deserved if they sinned against God, when they sinned against God, by disobeying the law. Now keep that in mind, the blood of the covenant, and turn over to Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 14. And in this chapter, Jesus is, among the things that happen in this chapter, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And in Mark 14, as he sits with them, and he, he, they, ate, he ate, they ate bread, he broke bread, and he said, they ate the bread, and he said that symbolized his body that was about to be broken for them. And then he poured wine. And as they drank the wine, look at what he says to them in verse 24. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. In Exodus, it was the blood of the covenant. It symbolized what we deserve for breaking God's law. In Mark, Jesus said the wine represented my blood of the covenant that he was about to shed on the cross for those who have broken God's law. Jesus, Jesus was both. Jesus is God and man. So he was God, he was the altar upon which the the blood was thrown, and he was the people standing there with the blood being thrown. He was the, in other words, As God, as both all in one person, He was the perfect covenant law keeper. He's the perfect, perfect law keeper. And He's the bearer of the covenant curse for the law breaker. Why? As Paul said in Romans, so that God could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so the covenant that god made with moses is a covenant of law but it's not a it's not it's not altogether without grace it's it's a covenant of law because it shows us god's holiness his righteous and perfect standards it's a covenant of law because it is unbending it is unmerciful in a lot of ways as it holds up to our faces how unholy and how sinful we are and how deserving we are of no good thing from God's hand, only judgment, only condemnation, but it is not entirely without grace because the whole reason God gave this law is so that we would quit trusting in ourselves. And so we would go running to Jesus. And I hope everyone in this room is running to Jesus every day, running to Jesus, thankful that he offered to God, he's the one that offered to God perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience in your place and in my place and he took on himself the judgment that the law lays down on us let's pray oh lord thank you so much for thank you so much for this this encouraging word i i'm you know thinking about oh lord thinking about how the when the when the new testament talks about the old covenant it it, it usually is talking about this covenant with Moses but knowing that Abraham, Moses and, and David are all tied together I'm already looking forward to how David points to Jesus I'm just yeah where the king goes, there go the people and Lord, I, this, this, this covenant it just it, it, it beats us down The law just beats us down. But at the same time, it it lifts us up because in it, you've pointed us forward to a perfect Savior who kept the law. I I pray that that is the very truth that would be a rock in our shoe as we leave this place. We have a Savior who has kept the law perfectly. He has obeyed perfectly, earned a perfect righteousness, earned a standing place, unblemished in heaven, and we are in him. I pray that that would, 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 we would not be able to escape that thought and we would go to sleep tonight in that perfect peace. I pray that in Jesus name. Amen.